Everybody. Hey, really enjoyed that time of worship together. Um, you know, today, this is PT, and for all of you out there who are joining us, you may be not even part of our church, welcome, truly welcome to this time. For those of you who are part of the Cornerstone community, my, I love you. I bless you. I'm so glad that we have been given the privilege and the opportunity uh, to be able to share this way. In previous generations, they may not even have even had this opportunity, and we get it. So I'm grateful. I am. You know what? Today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is unique. It was the Sunday when Jesus, as many of you know, but not everybody, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the week leading up to his crucifixion, on that Sunday leading up to his crucifixion. I mean, before the week would be out, Jesus would, would be crucified. But when he came into the city... It's sometimes called the triumphal entry. Uh, people welcomed him in. They, they were waving palms and crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was a glorious, beautiful moment of welcoming the Lord in and opening their hearts in praise towards God for the good thing that he had done. And again, uh, it's an invitation that you and I are being given right now. And I love it. I love, I love the opportunity to be able to say, Lord, I'm open to you right now. And maybe some of us just need to say that, Lord, I'm open to you right now. I'm just open. I welcome you in. My praise has welcomed you in. I welcome you in, King of my heart, Messiah, promised one, Hosanna, save us, God, right? That's what we do. But that Palm Sunday, again, nobody, nobody could have realized it, but by, by the time well, actually, before the week was even out, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. And the praises and the palms that were being waved would, would be overwhelmed by the jeers that Jesus would be experiencing as he was crucified and placed upon a cross for you and me, for everybody. He hung alone, but it was love that kept him there. But then, you know, as far as, as the Christian church has done for generations, we, we mark Palm Sunday, which is today, and we honor it, and we just we open up our heart to Him in, in joy. And then we prepare ourselves for the, 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 the way of, of engaging and embracing Good Friday, where we sit with the suffering of God, the suffering of of the Lord, the love that would suffer, the love that suffers with us and meets us in our broken places. Maybe some of us really can relate to that right now. But you know, we call Good Friday Good Friday because of what it represents in relation to God's love for us. It costs God everything, but 
we get everything in Christ. And so, and so because he carried it all. And then of course, Friday bleeds into Saturday and then Saturday and that whole, this whole week is kind of called traditionally the Holy week because of it. And then the week ends on Saturday and then it opens up just like the grave, the stone rolled away and it opens up into Easter. And that's what we're going to be, be doing together. And we've got a number of things planned obviously for this week. And we'll be posting them and letting everybody know about what's going on and sending out notifications and make sure you've got the app. If, if you don't have it, get it at Cornerstone SF, just load it up for a time like this. It's really important to stay connected, but Easter, you know, wherever, wherever we ultimately end up in whatever way and whatever expression we end up honoring that moment, it's going to be beautiful and we're going to do it together. But you know, before I even share the message and I have a little teaching to share with us and just picking right back up with where we left off and I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I'm looking forward to this moment. Um, but I was, I was thinking that I wanted to pray and pray in a specific way. I know for fact, just, I know it and partly because of the conversations I've had, uh, with many of you, that we're all processing through this time in different ways. And it's going to, it's ultimately, we're going to get past it. I do think there will be some effects that will, will, um, sit with us for a number of, of actually years coming out of this. Like it's, we're going to go back in stages to normal, but I think even normal is going to change a little bit, but really what I'm concerned about is not where we're going. I'm confident we're going to move through this piece and we'll be gathering again. It's going to happen. But I think my heart really goes right now towards those who are hurting and afraid. And some of the conversations I've had with people I love and some of you as well is that I realize there's a lot more hurt and, but it's, it's not even that it's, it's, um, it's fear. And then there's another element of this that doesn't affect all of us the same way, but for some of us, it really does. And that's loneliness. And some of us are very afraid. And part of that fear is connected to the fact that some of us feel very alone and perhaps some of us have elderly parents or, or grandparents, or some of us are in that age bracket where, you know, we're being told we're much more vulnerable and we probably are, you know? And so that, that compounds kind of together. And so the fear and then the loneliness, and, and sometimes it's not easy to know which one is worse are harder. But I want to pray before us all. And if you're able to, by the time we're done, just, you know, think about someone you love or someone God's placed in your circle, a relationship that, that maybe really needs encouragement and a prayer to be sent to them or a, a, a call to talk. And, you know, um, I just, I just really feel that's important. And so I want us to be aware of that, but let me go ahead and and just uh, pray. And Lord, I just, and we can pray together. Lord, I ask that you would just, at the outset of even this, this time of sharing your good words, that I just wanted to take the opening time to be able to pray with and for. I want to pray with all those who are struggling, all those of us, those of us who are really having a harder time, uh, not just because of the inconvenience, but also because of this feeling uh, in some cases that it might even have a spiritual element to it of just fear 
being afraid, not wanting to die, uh, get sick, uh, you know, also sometimes just being lonely in that place, feeling alone. What if I get this and no one's there for me? What am I going to do? You know, or just, just not having anyone to really be around when we're so accustomed to it. And so I just pray for the peace of Jesus. And I, I ask that you would guard, you know, you know, that you, you remind us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to you, to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And again, in prayer, Lord, we bring our concern to you. In supplication, we make our requests. And in thanksgiving, we anchor ourselves in the goodness and the, and the promises and, and in the reliable consistency of who you have proven yourself to be in our lives. And we live out of that. And we just pray over this word that it would just reinforce and strengthen us and stir us. And maybe there are some of us that our issue is really less about what we're personally feeling. Maybe we don't feel afraid. Maybe, again, it's about inconvenience. But maybe it has to do with people you have in our lives that we're supposed to be a little more attentive to. And just reinforce and remind ourselves, not even just with sympathy, but with great empathy. Empathy. And being open to blessing and refreshing. So I just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was having this conversation with someone I love deeply, my own mother. And I, I was sitting and, and in the morning we were just sharing together and I realized how heart, her heart was troubled and she was very troubled and she's a strong woman and she has a history of strength and accomplishment and I'm very proud of her and she has a tender love for the Lord and, and yet I could feel her fear. And I don't think that she would be uncomfortable with me saying that I could also tell that there was some loneliness there, that part of that fear was being accentuated because she was alone in terms of presence. And so um, we talked and, we, and I prayed with her. And I know many others have, it's just not just me, but I prayed with her. And I, I said, hey, mom, do you mind if um, I just, we just sing something together? It's a, it's a little song that I have that I'd like to sing over you as a prayer. And um, she said, fine, yeah. So I have no idea, I'm an, I have no idea um, how this is gonna come out in any way, shape or form, but uh, I hope it's okay. It could be, it could be <laughs> painful to the ears, I don't know, but I hope it, in our heart it's good. And maybe some of us, we should just sing this together. It's called the steadfast love of the Lord. I just wanna sing it to the Lord. I wanna sing it over you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. I sing that over all of you to him in Jesus name. Yeah. So continuing with our uh, exhale series in this Palm Sunday, I just, you know, want to jump right back into our discussion out of this super rich story from John four. It's not just a story. It's an account of a woman, a Samaritan woman. We call her the woman at the well. We don't know her name, but we know her story. 
And her story in many ways is our story because of the way she engaged Jesus and the way in which Jesus engaged her. And I pray that we would just kind of live out of this and enjoy it together and create this space to just think these thoughts about the Lord and his word and engage it. And you can follow along, you know, if we're online right now, I know some of us, you know, are, are aware that we've got the handout, the digital handout that you can check into. We've got a live chat going on right now where you can pray and get prayer for and ask questions and comment and just, I encourage you to do it if you feel so inclined. Yeah, why not? And then remember that after the two online services are done, where we have the live chat and the, the way to engage it in community, there's also an ongoing, you know, replay of that starting at one so that it just can be engaged at a time that allows you to also go back and forth a little bit as well. It's on demand. But the other thing to be aware of, and, and it's something that I, I personally want to invite everyone to, is that we have this also, in addition to a, a ton of other things we've been doing, we've got an, a, a, an online midweek service that we're doing as well. And that's called Growing Through Adversity. And really that is a repurposing of a series that I did a few years back that had to do with the idea of embracing our adversity and choosing to grow through it and how God can help us do that. And what we do is we combine, we have a little special song that we have as well, and we've got an opening host and a closing time. And so it, it, it's just designed to be another level of strength. On top of that, you know that some of you have access to the Rise and Shines. We're doing words of encouragement, live Instagram, worship. We're just doing everything we can and a whole lot more in terms of community building, everything we can to bless you. But I want to go back to John 4 and I want to jump right in. John 4, Woman at the Well. Here we go. Let's follow along together. Verse five. So he came to a town of Samaria. It was called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. So it's historically rooted. In the weeks past, we talked about where it was located and all the tension that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Jacob's well was there. We're told in verse six. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour noontime. And there was this woman, a woman from Samaria who came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, give me a drink. And then for his verse eight, for we're told parenthetically or in parentheses for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So the picture we have is Jesus sitting by a well at a time of the day when no one usually went to a well, he didn't seem to have any though means of getting the water. He was tired. The disciples had gone into town to get food and he was in one of these rare moments by himself and a woman comes. She approaches, she has most likely a water pot, at least one, if not more, right? And, and with that pot of water, well, soon to be a pot of water, it was just a water jug. She made her way. I imagine that on top of that, she had, she had a, a, some type of a, a, either a bucket or a, which could have been a smaller jar or a animal skin with an opening that would be tied to a rope that she could drop into the well and pull the water up with, and then maybe even a drinking utensil. So she had a lot of stuff with her and it was going to be a heavy lift to carry the, carry that water pot back. And, um, anyway, she's on her way there. She's got her reasons why she's by herself. And she probably was caught off guard by a person sitting, sitting by the well probably in a park that would have been easier. Maybe there was a little shaded spot. I don't know, but Jesus is, is there. She doesn't know him though. She can tell as she's getting closer that he's 
not a Samaritan, and she's not anybody he recognizes. He's a stranger. He's also, she can tell Jewish, but just the, the dress and it, they, there was a, they would have understood one another at that point. Jews and Samaritans were told did not get along. And so I think she was, you know, there was that tension, the religious and ethnic tension that existed. And, and it comes out in the conversation they're about to have, but she doesn't know it yet. She's just looking at him. I assume she tried to not even give too much attention to him, almost as if she was just ignoring him, like, you know, or averting her attention from him. He's there. Maybe he's looking towards her. She's making her way. And maybe she tries to avoid him almost as if she doesn't want to have a conversation. You know how we do that sometimes, you know, we just our body language. We don't make eye contact. And so I think she was caught off guard when the stranger sitting by the well, um, asked her a question. And the question was, Hey, would you mind giving me a drink of water when you implied when you get it? And, you know, again, we talked about how unconventional that was, how it would have not been considered appropriate actually for, you know, Jews and Samaritans typically didn't have this kind of exchange. And then on top of that, she was a woman and he was a, a teacher. And there was just, uh, there was just a lot of reasons why that shouldn't have happened. She was aware of it. And so she was kind of taken aback by it because, you know, she wasn't prepared for Jesus, um, sort of moving against what would have been considered normal protocol of engagement between our types of people. And so, um, we're, we, 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 you know, and again, it's a reminder that in the big picture, and I, I love this, you know, that in the big picture, Jesus had come into this world, uh, to save this world and conventions and, and social structures. He worked with them, but he was not bound by them. They were not the priority. I, Jesus was not a, a social activist. He was a savior. Don't ever let anybody reframe it in a different way. His highest priority always was spiritual. It all out of the spiritual would come the social everywhere where Christ is truly embraced and the love of God prevails. There will then have a corresponding impact that in the end will result in an improvement in society. But Jesus never was trying to be a political revolutionary or a social activist. He was, he was trying, well, he was clearly focused on saving this world and at a spiritual level, addressing the deepest issues of the human spirit to create a pathway for us to get back to God. And I love that because right here we see uh, Jesus doing that. You know, it's fascinating too. And this is just a little quick side note, but John four is where the woman at the well, it's really all about her and this exchange with Jesus, which can, which ends up with, with, with him, with her, with her saying, I think you're the Messiah and him saying, you're right. Yeah, I am. <laughs> but if you go back, right. If you go back a chapter to the third chapter of John, which is great, the progression, but in John three, there's this, it's primarily built around Nicodemus and Jesus exchange with this religious teacher who though very theologically, you know, trained is not really able to grasp who Jesus is. And finally in their conversation, 
Jesus says the two, you know, the statement that becomes one of the greatest verses ever, where he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is who I am. That if anyone would believe in me, they would not die or perish, but have life everlasting, eternal and undying and overflowing. And then he said this to Nicodemus in that third chapter of John, which precedes this chapter in John 4. He said, for God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I think that has such an amazing kind of play out or roll out in this fourth chapter, because if you think about it, what really emerges here is Jesus shows up not as the condemner, think about it, but as the savior. He doesn't come to condemn. It's almost as if he's literally fulfilling or showing how that statement about who he is, is working itself out in his engagement with this amazing woman, the woman at the well. And again, I love it because it's beautiful. And I, I called the message, uh, I called it a dance of grace. And it's, it really has to do with the, the way in which Jesus and the woman are engaging in the dance of grace. That's how I see it anyway. It's beautiful. It's delicate. Let's go back. Let's look at this. Verse nine. Stay with me. Let's go together. It says in verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? I'm a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And Oh, one phrase. Do you see it? It just totally stands out. Look at verse 10. Look at it one more time. It caught me. I, maybe all these years I've read this, but for some reason, as I was getting ready for this message, it stood out to me. If you only knew, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew. And in fact, I spent some of the rise and time, rise and shine time in the coming week, just sitting with, if you only knew, or if you knew. And I think if you knew, if only people knew who he was, so that's what Jesus was saying. If you knew who I was, oh, I'm telling you, you would be asking me, you would be asking me. And I think if only people knew, ah, oh, especially today, if only people knew how much God wanted to bless them, how close he was, how real he was, the gift that he has for us, right? how much he has made available, the grace that he wants to impart, the breakthrough that he has for some of us. I found myself thinking about people who don't know him and me and how much God has for them. If you only knew who he was and how much he could be present in your life and how much of a difference that would make. But I also found myself thinking about those of us who follow him and how sometimes we undercut or, uh, uh, we don't appreciate enough his capacity to bring breakthrough and expansiveness and change and healing. If we only knew the resource that was available to us in Christ, like we may know it theoretically, but to embrace it as our own, ha, ah, that's different. And then I found that in saying that for myself as well, if I only knew what God wanted to do here far more than my own sense of what can be done. And I've tried my best to, to say, Lord, I want to be open to this time because I want to be open because I think it's going to allow for new things to happen 
and to be open to the things that I can learn and, and also share and bless. And then also to be open to the potential changes that we're going to all be able to experience together coming out of it. So if I only knew, I just love that. And one of the things I want to put up is this, I think it's worth noting, don't ever underestimate how much the Lord has made available to us, his resources, his goodness, the power of his love to set us free. Come on, let's not underestimate what he makes available to us. I think we do that. We sell him short. And at times like these, when you remember, ah, he's an ever present help in time of trouble. That's what you are, Lord, an ever present help in time of trouble. And plus we are free to be more than we could ever be without him. We will always be better than what we would be with him. Oh, the grace of God, the wealth that he gives, the beauty of what he offers, his transformative power and capacity to meet us in our places of deepest need, his capacity to heal our heart, to satisfy the longing of our souls. That's right. Because you and I have eternity in us. That's what the Bible says. There is in you and me, and it shows up in times like these, the longing for more to know why we are here and even what is yet to be. And there's this, um, I, I came up, I came across this amazing verse. Actually, there are two verses in second Corinthians that I think has a direct connect. And it just spoke so much to me. And I want to share it with you. It's in second Corinthians four verses six and seven. Look at these words in a fresh way. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, the very creative God, the one who broke into, into the darkness with light, let light shine out of darkness. That one who spoke those words has shown that same God who broke light and created light in the darkness that brought it forth into the universes of the universes and whatever else is there, the light. The one who spoke that very light, the expansive, distant, uh, beyond us light of God, that same one who spoke that light also has shown in our hearts. Look at that. Look at the contrast, the mega, and then the intensity of that light. Also the, 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 the specific way he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see? you realize what a deep verse this is? It's, it's in the face of Jesus that we see God. It's in the face of Jesus that we understand what he is like. The creator God that we instinctively know is there can be known in relationship in Jesus. It's in the face of Jesus that the creator God, the life force of all things, has made himself known in humanity. And that is powerful, a powerful, and then it takes it even further. The creative God known in the face of Jesus can then shine inside of us. Wow. Is that amazing? And then he, Paul goes on to say, verse seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's like contained this light is contained in a jar of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's like in L oh, do you see it? The other version says gift of earthly vessels, jars of clay, which for me has a fascinating connection to this passage because she had a water jug of clay 
Most likely, that's what she had where the water was being poured into. And that's how the Bible describes you and me as human beings. We are jars of clay. I mean, we are uh, fragile. And in times like these, I do think we understand. I mean, I think we get it when we're aging. But in times like these, we understand how fragile we really are and how fragile our world really is. Like many of our presuppositions that we have about our capacities have been shaken. We are far more fragile than we think. And therefore we are invited to the one who fills the jar of clay that we are with his presence and light. Back to our passage, verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, because he remember he asked, he, he said, I can give you this water. I can give you water. If you knew who I was, okay. He asked for her for water. She says, what do you want? You want you talking to me? Are we having a conversation here? Jesus says, yes. In fact, Jesus says, if you actually knew who I was and what I could do, you'd be asking me for water. And that's just, I'm just telling you, I have living water that I can get. And it'll hit you in a, in a way that is way beyond the water that's in this well. By this point, she's intrigued. She, she says to him, verse 11, sir, wait, whoa, whoa. What are you talking? You don't even have anything to get any water with. This well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? How do you even know how to do it? How's that possible? Again, you don't even have a bucket. Are you greater than our father Jacob, she says? He gave us this well and he drank for, from it himself. This well, Jacob, our father, drank from, and, and as did his sons and their livestock. It's been a place of life and safety. But I think we forget sometimes how significant a well is. I, I, I actually do know that in certain parts of the country and certain parts of the world, and some of the more underdeveloped parts of the world, <laughs> well water is huge. And it becomes a central place of life. For in water there is life, and in clean water there is life. And so she was saying, you know what? God led our ancestor Jacob to this very spot, and it's here that a well was dug. And out of this well of wa where water is found has come so much life. I'm sure there is no way what you can offer is greater than what he gave us. And Jesus said to her, no. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And then verse 14, and whoever drinks of the, but listen, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That's what I'm saying. But uh, the water I will give him will become inside a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Do you understand that? The, so the water that I, I'm going to give you is, it, it, you know, look, you drink this water, you're going to get thirsty. You're going to have to come back again. <laughs> this is a fact, but I'm talking about water. The water that I can give you, that water, if you drink of it, you're never going to thirst again. No, it's going to meet you at the deepest place. In fact, it is going to be everlasting water. It's going to be water that's going to be inside of you. Right? It'll quench your thirst. I mean, again, it was just powerful. What Jesus was getting at was this water, um, it will 
it will meet you at the place where you, where you are most in need. It will, it will spring out of your very being. Uh, it will, it will, uh, it will satisfy the fundamental yearning of your, of your soul. It will change your life forever. It will hit you at a place where, where nothing else can go. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Something that only this water can quench. And really what Jesus was talking about was what, you know, Augustine, St. Augustine would later call, uh, the, the hole that only he could fill. Augustine said, our hearts being restless till they rest in thee, right? Our hearts being restless till they rest in, in thee, that longing for more, the yearning, that eternity in our hearts, that sense that we were made for more and that this cannot be the end. That's where think about it. Where does that drive that yearning to live come from? If it wasn't for that yearning, there would be no fear about dying, but there is a yearning in us to live. And we know there is more. I was thinking about Wordsworth in Odes to the Imitations of Immorality. <laughs> Wordsworth in the Odes of the Intimations of Immortality. That's a tongue twister. Odes to the Intimations of Immortality. He said, these obstinate questionings of sense and outward things fallings from us, vanishings, blank misgivings of a creature moving about in worlds, not realized what he was saying was there's more and we sense it as William Barclay, great Bible commentator put it. We are never safe from the longing for eternity, which God has put in a man's soul. There is the thirst, which only the waters of eternity can quench and which only Jesus Christ can satisfy back to the text, back to the teaching, back to the exchange, back to the dance of grace. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, oh, that sounds amazing. Would you give me this? I, I would like that water. It, it, uh, yes. So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Oh, I would love, I would love this water. She's still thinking physical. Like somehow Jesus has this magical potion. Plus you know, in her mind, it'll, it'll make it be huge. I mean, somehow in her mind, she came from that, from the things that Jesus said, she's thinking, oh, if I get your water and that means it will last forever, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm open. That means I won't have to come back here. Like <laughs> my, my commute time is going to be reduced big time. If I have that water and Jesus said to her, Hey, I'll tell you what, why don't you, why don't you go get your husband and just bring him here? We can all talk about it together. And it's fascinating to watch Jesus push into the moral relational zone. Isn't it? Hmm. She says, ah, you know, I would do that, but it's a little complicated. That's a little complicated. I don't know. I don't, I don't, nah, nah, I don't think so. And, and, the, and then the woman said, you know, I really don't, you know what? I don't have a husband. I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her and watch this one. Yeah, you're right. You do not have a husband. That's true. And then, oh, oh but you've had five. See, you've had five husbands. And it's true. The one that you now are with, that's not your husband. So in that regard, he told me the truth. 
Oh, now that was not intended to rub it in her face. It, there was no intention there to shame her. In fact, I based on her response that it was actually said with tenderness. I suspect Jesus said it more in a tone of, I understand that. I know you have no husband, but um, you've had five of them. And the truth is the one that you're with now. He's not your husband, but I, <laughs> I know you. I, that's what Jesus was saying. That was, that was the moment where it was, you can't hide from me. I know you, I know your pain and I know your disappointment. That's what that was. I know you, you see my water goes there. That's what I'm telling you. Wow. Oh my goodness. Now I know you've been hurt. And I know where that hurt has taken you, but I got this. If you'll let me work, I'll, I'll give I'll help you. I will help you and I will heal you. I'll do amazing things. So the woman said to him, sir, I, I, oh, I perceive that you are a prophet. There's no question in my mind. How did you know that? How do you know anything about me? What's going on here? I, I, I perceive you are a prophet and then the shift. But let's talk about something else. I'm not comfortable on this terrain. Um, she wants to move uh, to, to a discussion about religion and cultural differences. That's different. That's objective. That's not about me. I don't want to talk about me. It's another attempt to evade because why? He's getting too close. That's why. Can we? I, you know, I, I don't really feel like I want to go there right now. I appreciate what you just said. I don't know how you know. What, I don't know how you know about me. I think. You must be some type of a holy man, a prophet. I, I, I get that, but you know, you know what? I was thinking about the whole issue of our differences. You know, in verse 20, our fathers, I just want to point this out. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now she's, she's trying to create some gap. She's trying to reemphasize the space between the Jew and the Samaritans as a way of escaping what I think is getting uncomfortable inside. And Jesus said to her, I don't know, this is a marvelous response. Again, the dance of grace going on. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain right here, nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the father. Cause I tell you, God is on the move in a very different way. You know, you worship in truthful, truthfully, I need to say this, you worship, but you really don't understand what you're worshiping. You do not know it. We worship what we know for salvation actually is from the Jews. Jesus was affirming the law of Moses. He was reaffirming the true tree of faith, but at the same time, watch this, but the hour is coming. Actually it's right now. It's now here when true worshipers are not going to be worshiping the father. Um, in such places when true worshipers actually will worship the father in spirit and in truth. And it's not really going to be about geography or place as much as it's going to be about openness of heart for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit, Jesus says, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's again, Jerusalem is the place, but it's not going to be about geography anymore. It's not about you know, what mountain we worship him on. And that was a controversy between the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, no, this is about true worship and true worship is always about openness to his spirit. And it supersedes. Remember this 
it supersedes, the bond of Christ supersedes locality and ethnicity. It always does. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. I know that. I believe that. Basically, she's saying, we know the Messiah is on his way. And when he comes, he's going to make it all clear. He's going to set everything straight. He'll reveal everything. Jesus said to her, no need to wait. The one who's speaking to you right now, I'm he. That's me. I who speak to you am he. She says, we'll know when the Messiah comes. Jesus says, you don't need to wait anymore. He's right here. It was a declaration concerning his identity. And think about it. One of the most decisive statements concerning his Messiahship was given to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman at that. And so they're dancing together in grace. And just then, verse 27, and these are our last few verses. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled. They were shocked, kind of surprised, marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, why are you talking to her? Why do you seek? What are you looking for? What, do you, what is it that you want that would cause you to have this conversation with her? What's going on here, Lord? Everybody thought about it. Everybody was watching. No one was really sure what was happening. But they knew better than to question Jesus and to put him on the spot like that. And so they just kind of let it play out. But before they could even process through everything, it says the woman was so excited about what Jesus had shared with her that she, and I, I come on, how can we miss this? 28 and 29. So the woman left her water jar and went away in the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. I mean, he looked right into my life. He knows everything about me. I didn't tell him one thing. There's, I've never met anybody like him. Do you know what? I think... I think he's the Messiah. I think he's the Christ. Can this be the Christ? You got to come and meet him. You got to talk to him. I, I think, I think he is. I think he is. And again, I'm going to just stop right there because she got so excited about telling others in town about Jesus. Do you see what happened? And it's one of those unique details that I just love when the Bible throws it in. It says that she got so excited that she just ran back to town and she left her water pot. She left that jar and I don't know if it ever got filled. It may have been empty when she came. I don't know what happened. Maybe she was filling it a lot as it was going on. I don't know. All I know is that by the, that, that she was so excited that she left it behind him. And it got me thinking, Lord, when was the last time we were so excited about sharing you with somebody else about the discovery that we made in our conversation with you, that we left our water jar literally stopped what we were doing because our heart was alive, right? When was that? Oh, I want that to be happen to me from time. I do want that to happen to me and you as well. Think about this. And it's worth remembering. She came to be refreshed. And by the time Jesus was done with her, she was refreshing others. I love that. She came to be refreshed. But by the time Jesus was done with her, she was refreshing others. Remember, we're told in Proverbs 11, 25, that the one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. The one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. Ah, uh, that is actually so apropos for right now. Let's choose to refresh. Some of us, when we're struggling with our fear, uh, maybe the best way to break out of some of that stuff is to refresh and bless someone else. Send a prayer, send an encouragement, write a note, 
the one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. I actually ended up sharing that with my mother. I said, mom, why don't you think about refreshing uh, someone else because it will help you also. It blesses them and it refreshes you. And that's a powerful uh, tool for a time such as these. The one who refreshes with themselves be refreshed. When we start to feel the panic coming and the world closing in on us, when fear starts to arise, one of the tools that we have at our disposal in the Lord is to refresh for the one who refreshes with themselves be refreshed. In fact, you guys, loved ones, <laughs> let's use this Easter as an opportunity, as an opportunity. I, okay. So, you know, again, Maybe, maybe there are people that the Lord has put on our minds right now that we're supposed to refresh. Let's do that. Let's follow through. Lord, if there's someone that you want us to send a note to, uh, pray for, or give a call to, send a text to, you know, email, whatever. But I think the, one of the biggest things we can ever do is also invite. That has everything to do with so water reap. We're sticking with the plan. There's the water, the living water. Let's pour it out on the seeds, but we got to put the seeds, got to scatter those seeds. So what I'm asking some of you to do is see Easter as an opportunity and regardless of how we gather, and I don't know for sure how we're going to be able to gather. I don't even really know how we're going to be able to, you know, exactly what ways and how we're going to be coming back together. I know it's going to happen. I just don't know the timelines and in the ways in which we're just going to have to be creative and we're going to have to be safe and wise. And we're going to have to work in harmony with the, the goals of, uh, of, uh, the, you know, our city and, and state and, and just do our part. But but what I do recognize is that this Easter, far from being something that is, needs to be a defeat, is actually a celebration of the light and life of Jesus in ways that I think still represent a tremendous opportunity. So, you know, whether, whether, however we celebrate it, I think it's a time to invite. And I want to encourage some of you have the capacity to invite not just a few people, not just 10 people, but hundreds of people. Yes, I'm saying that. Invite as many people as possible to engage in whatever expression of Easter we're going to offer together, because I guarantee you this, it's going to bring life. And let's take this negative and turn it into a positive. That's what I want us to do. So here's how we're going to go. I know I took a little longer, but that's okay. My heart's alive and I want you blessed. And besides, we have a little more time than normal, don't we? I think we do. So here, listen. We're not going to have a time of formal giving. Um, can't, obviously can't even do that, but in fact, I'm just going to, in a moment, kick it back over to the worship team and they're going to close us. And then what they're going to do is then send it back to me. I'll come back for a, a, a closing prayer, like a brief word in a closing prayer. So I want to do that. It's very important to me that we do that together. But as for the giving piece, you know, um, many of you have been able to give online and that's what we do a lot of us now. And you can do that online or on the app either way. But uh, I know not everybody can. I know some of us, some of us don't have, you know, we we're actually in a, in a tough spot, but others of us, we've been okay. And so let's, let's continue to carry this work together, uh, by investing in what we do. It allows us then to refresh others. See, that's the mechanism. And if you know it, you look at what we're doing, you can tell we are committed to refreshing. Now we're going to do that regardless, because that's what we're committed to by the Lord. But I'd love for you, especially if this is your home, to do whatever you can to help make it work. Step out in faith. All right, here we go. I'm sending it back over. It's been a joy sharing this message. I'm coming back to close us in prayer.
I will bless your name like fountains bursting forth. I will praise, I will praise you, Lord. Every breath I take, I will bless, I will bless your name like fountains bursting forth. I'll praise you, Lord. Oh, wasn't that great? to be able to worship and finish with that song. I love that. You know, I, 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 again, I'm just looking forward to staying connected and making this week special. That's such an important thing. I want you to, all of us, to just draw even closer to the Lord. And so I wanna pray and just thank Him for what we shared and ask, ask it to just settle into our spirit. So hey, just pray with me. Lord, I, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that you, you dance with us in grace. And you know, that's how we started in a way, just reminding ourselves of your goodness and your faithfulness and your love. And you know, we continue to pray for the leaders in our land. We continue to pray for those who are our first responders and those who are working so hard to bless others and putting themselves a little bit in peril themselves. And, you know, we don't know how everything's gonna roll out, but we, we ask that you would continue to just heal. And my particular prayer is that there would come a healing of the mind and of the heart and of the soul. I ask for refreshing in the Lord, for a spirit of a refresher, that we would be open to the invitations that we're supposed to make and being invited into conversations and that those conversations would bring forth life and that we would just be able to have a tenderness of heart and not allow fear to dominate us, but instead to be courageous and trusting. We also come against any panic that would make its way in. For whatever reason, we remind ourselves that we are not to be an anxious people filled with worry about what may be, but rather to trust you in the present and commit ourselves to you for the future. If we place our lives in your hands, we need to be afraid in the end of nothing. I know we will be at times, that's why we were reminded not to be afraid, but we still choose to trust you. We affirm our love for you, and we affirm your love for us. Thank you, thank you. We thank you for the dance we've had together in this time, the dance of grace, and may his grace abound over all of us and over all of you, in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.